Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Where are we going this week? We are going to New York City. New York City? Not just New York City. It's New York City in 1960, specifically Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue heartbreak. We are watching this week Breakfast at Tiffany's. Direct. Originally a book by Truman Capote. Don't forget the E. Capote. Capote? Capote. It is a Paramount Picture film with Audrey Hepburn, who was not Truman Capote's choice, and George Papard, who was no one's choice. <laughs> George Papard. <laughs> well, I'll get to it because I have forgotten something that you had said. And when he shows up on screen, I'm like, wow, that's like a slightly less handsome army hammer. <laughs> I'd say a lot less handsome army hammer. So the review was saying that it's about a fortune hunter, Holly Golightly, who is obviously Audrey Hepburn, and an aspiring writer, Paul Varjak. Okay, so... Um, well, it is directed by Blake Edwards and Julie Andrews' husband for several years. Okay, okay. But this man has directed plenty of movies, but all the only movies that you need to know about are this man is responsible for the Pink Panther, ladies and gentlemen. Pink Panther. The Pink did Panther. Yeah. And may I just tell our listeners, all seven of them, that I am using a brand new microphone my children gave me for my birthday. Happy birthday, listeners. Thank you so much. Well, <laughs> okay, so it opens with. Oh, wait, um, wait, wait. It was, I mean, the, the novel, it was based on a novel, but the screenplay was written by George Axelrod. He wrote the strips for The Seven Year Itch. He also wrote the screenplay for Bus Stop. And he also adapted the screenplay for a little movie you might have heard of called The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. That's why we have Aaron on the other end of the podcast to pick up those details I just skim over. Well, everyone disrespects the writer, but not here. Not here. We give props to the writers. Not on my watch. So it begins with like early, early morning in Manhattan, you know, maybe one cab in the streets and the um, music of Moon River written by Henry Mancini. Old Hank Mancini did the music on this one, folks. Wrote it exactly for Audrey Hepburn. It's all in one octave. Oh, so, that's why I can sing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the like, taxi drops a woman off, and she is in a full-length black sheath dress. Everyone knows this dress. This is the dress. This is the quintessential Audrey Hepburn. It's that dress that you see in every girl's bedroom poster it's that dress 
Givenchy, people. Givenchy. And she wore this dress and she just changed the accessories with it, which would make sense in the fact that she is uh, a fortune hunter. <coughs> oh, girl. She's a sex worker. She is, but she frequently um, goes out the bathroom window when it comes time for the sex part. Which is in the novel, Truman Capote says that she's not a prostitute. Those were his words, not mine, people. I understand that prostitutes are now sex workers. Right. But that's what he said. Right, because he's not woke. And, but she wasn't one of those. She was an American geisha. Yeah. Kind of like a call girl who would go out with you for dinner, but not do the um, after dinner activities. They're hostesses. Their geishas are um, their hostesses, their master of witty banter, games, songs. So she was, he envisioned her as an American one. It could be said that he kind of maybe, he based Holly Golightly on a lot of different people and maybe some of, one of them, couple of them were his mother. So maybe that's why he was a little like, whoa. She Yikes. is not a sex worker. Yeah. Yeah, but she obviously never had sex. I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I mm-hmm. think she's a sex worker. Mm-hmm. I think that she'd totally be beaten up with black eyes if she never gave it up, if you know what I mean. Well, you know. Anyway. I so watched she- this movie. Sorry. I, watched this, I remember watching this movie when I was in high school and I think I fell asleep. And never saw the end of it. Because. Go ahead. Well, because I was kind of like, I've always seen the pictures of Audrey Hepburn. I've always heard Breakfast at Tiffany's. I knew Moon River and whatnot. But I didn't realize it was a novella by Truman Capote. And that made me think, is this sneaky dark? Am I about to watch a sneaky dark film? Mm. And then like the whole beginning and stuff. For our listeners who don't know, what do you mean by sneaky dark? Sneaky dark. Well, to me, in my mind, just seeing the pictures, you have beautiful Audrey Hepburn. She was gorgeous. In this elegant dress. Her eyes are all big. She had, I mean, she pretty much defined the style that you think of in the 60s. Totally. Ushered in the new wave of the whole, everybody started starving themselves because they wanted to be as skinny as she was. She was a skinny woman. And she was a sandwich. Ma, she was skinny because she almost starved to death in Holland because the Nazis had occupied it. She almost died. Fucking Nazis. She was the same age as Anne Frank. And she always had, was always like, Anne Frank died and I survived. Yeah. And so she had, uh, what is it, anemia. Yeah. She was just, she her body never got over being malnourished. Exactly. And this film was filmed right after she had given birth to a child. What? Yeah. There was no pudge at all. Yeah. She had just given birth to a, her son. I mean, that, I, knew, 
I saw, I was like, my God, this woman is thin. But I had known, so I wasn't going to throw shade on her. Right. Saying, like, right. eat a sandwich, because I was like, those damn Nazis, look what yeah. they did to her. But then it's also really weird how then everybody was like, I got to be like her. And all she wanted to do was have more meat on her bones. Exactly. She would have loved a sandwich. Although, okay, two two points. Oh, I wonder what the first one was. Second one was, she did not like pastries. And in the opening scene, she's eating a pastry and drinking coffee in front of the Tiffany's windows, hence the breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, second one was, she knew Truman Capote really wanted Marilyn Monroe to play her part. So anytime he was on set, she was so stressed out that she lost even more weight and she didn't have any weight to lose. And third point, she's an introvert and she had to play Holly Golightly, who was such an extrovert, such an extrovert. (sighs) And, and um, a lot of people felt like it was miscast, especially Truman Capote, but I thought she was perfect because in reality, she was an introvert, Holly Golightly. And, but she she had to do the um, the other personality pu- to pull off the Holly Golightly, and you find out why as the film progresses. She brought to this role a depth. I'm not saying like Marilyn Monroe also could have done this role, but if we're if we're thinking about it, 1961, Marilyn Monroe is. I I mean you can look it up. I'm just gonna sum it up. People can take qualms with it, but she was spiraling out of control at this yeah. point. So I don't really think she would have brought her A game. Audrey Hepburn, on the other hand, completely won me over with this movie. I was like, yeah. my God, because there is so, there's we'll get to it. But there is very there's depth behind what she's saying. It's right. a very layered performance. Now, she was supposed to her character, Holly Golightly, was supposed to be about 19 at this time. Oh, so she um, she she presents as a young female in New York City that has no restrictions on her and she's living a surface life. In fact, one of the people in it calls her a phony, uh, a phony's phony because she's living just on the surface. She's not doing anything deeper, not thinking any deep thoughts. All right. She has those deep thoughts in her mind. She's just trying. Yeah, maybe she just has one thought and it runs real deep, which is I got to survive out in these streets. Money, 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 money. Yeah. So anyway, the taxi drops off this drop dead gorgeous woman, full length black dress with pearls out the wazoo her hair is up she has on sunglasses that are not ray-bans but they look like ray-bans um and she is drinking coffee coffee yes is it tiffany's <laughs> and she is eating a croissant mm-hmm. so this is her breakfast looking at the at the windows at tiffany's on fifth avenue mm-hmm. at about i would say about <laughs> five o'clock in the morning Mm-hmm. Five o'clock, yeah, just about five. Because the sun is just coming up. Mm-hmm. So then we're at a brownstone, and there's a a um, a buzzer buzzing to get in a 
uh, brownstone walk-up apartment. And across the street, there's an older man asleep in a car, and he runs over. He's Mr. Auerbacher, and uh, something really uncomfortable happens right now. And um, Mr. Blake, what was his first name? Who made the movie said this was uh, the one thing he would have changed. Blake Edwards. Are we getting into problematic Mickey Rooney? Yes. Okay. Well, everyone. Oh, people. I think that we, I think Butterfly McQueen from Gone with the Wind now has company in the most cringe-inducing stereotype role that we here at Gone with the Bushes have had to endure. And, and I looked up and Mickey Rooney... It, has said that it hurt his heart to hear Blake Edwards say that's the one thing he would have changed in this film because they cast Mickey Rooney because it's supposed to be comic relief, but he is playing an Asian man to the point where stereotypical is not just bold letters. It's throbbing. This this role if it's they awful. had cast a Japanese man in this role, it would have been racist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a problematic role. It's so over the top. Everything's a stereotype that they couldn't even cast a Japanese man, a Japanese actor. An older Japanese actor, if he played it, would, would never be able to look at his own people again. Exactly. So maybe they had to do somebody because it had the teeth prosthetic that was buck tooth and he kept his eyes mostly closed. So they were slit eyes and he did a horrible broken accent. Did you mention the buck teeth? I did. Did you mention the yellow face? It was awful. It's so bad. The accent, everything. It's just like, it's, oh, man. It's what would keep this film from being, oh, my God, that was absolutely, there was nothing I would change because this I would definitely change. I wrote in my notes, horribly racist Asian man. So there we go. Our second in the... What did I call it in my notes? I, uh, I came up with a, a thing for it. We can't even do a person of color for it because he wasn't. It doesn't count as a person of color. No. I was just... it. Oh, the Gone with the Bushes Cringeworthy Hall of Fame. Yes. There oh, we have. we have to start that. That's oh, I excellent. started it. The first, the we I started on the first week. I just didn't tell you. Butterfly McQueen from Gone yeah. with the Wind is right in there. Okay, that's she's number one. I mean, this is in no particular order, but she just happened to be know. the Mickey first Rooney's one. Mickey Rooney's number two for me. <laughs> Butterfly McQueen is still up there with. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, so but I'm Mr. Like, oh my god, but that it was it was the 1930s, and like I don't, I'm not, I'm not super angry at Butterfly McQueen because I don't. think I'm she not had at a all angry at Butterfly McQueen. She got some, she got some money for it. I'm, I'm angry with the the people who wrote wrote it that way and. You're angry at history. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Pretty much. Okay, so Mr. Auerbacher was in a car. He sees uh, Holly Golightly going in the building, and he's coming up going, hey, I paid good money. I have some rights. Yeah. What what does that mean? 
Yikes. She should have turned around and slapped him and been like, no, you don't. Time's up. That's right. (laughs) Me too. So at this point, another taxi pulls up and George Pappard gets out. A young George Pappard, blonde, extremely blue eyes, um, good looking gentleman. And he also has forgotten his key. So he rings the buzzer at Holly Golightly's apartment to be able to get in. Um, Holly is asleep in a sleeping mask and earplugs. She is sleeping in her all together, if you know what I mean. So she pulls on a man's tuxedo shirt because that's always laying around. (laughs) And George Papard comes up. I'm sorry. Could I use your phone? And slams the door and she goes, I don't know you. But no, and she the, doesn't. Of course not. <laughs> no, the eyes are pretty blue. Almost as blue as Paul Newman's. Uh, a cat jumps on him, and we find out that this is Paul Varjak, an aspiring writer, who is just moving into the building. I will be calling him George Papard the rest of the film because Holly calls him Fred for a reason we'll get into in a minute. Yes. And for some reason, Holly is telling him how much she loves Tiffany's because she's just that person who just says whatever's on her mind, which is like at the top of her mind, no depth going on. She has a lot of conversations with no one. Well, she's got a mental disorder or she just suffers from depression. It could be both. She's because she said she, get, she gets the mean reds. Yeah. Which is not like the blues. The mean reds is when you're afraid, but you don't know what you're afraid of. So she's got anxiety. And that was before a lot of the pharmaceuticals some of us are taking at this time. (laughs) So she said whenever she gets the mean reds, she jumps in a cab and goes to Tiffany's. Okay. And he's just like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just needed to get into my apartment. So she's going, uh, uh, and she has a cat that has no name. The cat's, no, the cat has a name. The cat's name is Cat. Right. So she realizes it's Thursday, and at 1045, she has to be at Sing Sing, the prison, to um, see her old buddy. So she has to find her black alligator shoes, and... And George Papard goes, you're, you're going to go visit somebody at Sing Sing? And she goes, yeah, Sally Tomato. He's a darling old man. Every Tuesday for seven months I've been going. And uh, I'd go even if he didn't pay me. And it's like, oh, okay. And so she's doing this verbal diarrhea while she's getting ready. And she said his his attorney has organized it. And she goes every week and she talks to him and he gives her a weather report that she has to then take to Hamburger Hamlet to give to somebody else. And that's all there is. There's nothing. There's not a big deal with it. Well, it's very suspicious, but okay, highly go lightly. Right. So she is going lightly with this thinking it's not a big deal. It's Obviously, easy anybody with a brain would go, yeah, it is. <laughs> you are. You are getting in pretty, pretty deep so she wears a little black dress and a huge black hat with a white scarf on it she is the epitome of class uh, and she, she's jackie o before there was a jackie o 
Or I guess there was a Jackie O at the time, but never mind. This was the look everybody was going for. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes, Sally tells me the weather reports and I go to Hamburger Hamlet and tell them to Mr. Shaughnessy. So um, she goes out to hail a cab, at which point uh, a new character comes it, getting out of a cab, Patricia Neal. I who was a, yeah, was she somebody? Yeah, she was a, a very famous actress at the time. She was a bit of an older woman compared to uh, George Papard and Audrey Hepburn. Yes, and, and Papard... Uh, when she gets out and Papard is, he's like, oh, this is my uh, decorator. So I wrote, obviously a kept man. Mm, Papard has figured out some things. Right. Again, we have Mickey Rooney and he's complaining about the loud music. And um, we have, it's later in the day, so Holly is in her apartment, but she locks herself in her bathroom. And uh, so the, the man in her apartment obviously wants more from her than she's willing to give. And Mickey Rooney's yelling at her to stop the music. So she puts on a robe and she goes out the fire escape. You know, it's, she, it's what you do. It's what you do. She goes up uh, a floor and she sees George Papard asleep in bed. And Patricia o Patricia Neal is leaving him and leaving money for him and kissing him goodbye. Ah, and so Holly Golightly is like, ah, a fellow traveler. Yeah, a fellow traveler. I, I, I understand your pain. I feel your pain. So Holly Golightly climbs in the windows and she's going, don't worry, don't worry, she's gone. And she's saying there's a terrible man downstairs. Oh, so, and this terrible man, the voice is Mel Blanc, a.k.a. Mel Bugs Bunny Blanc. Not only not only that, but wasn't he also Fred Flintstone? I think so. My research on this movie got cut real short. Yeah, it did. I have a little bit, but I was counting on Aaron to pick up the slack. But we'll get there. Well, the social issues came in the way. So, let's see. George Papard is, is obviously naked in bed, but you only see his chest. And he's going, how was Sing Sing? And she goes, oh, it was fine. It's a small craft warning and something weather-related. And so she sees $300 on his dresser and goes, is that for the week or hour or what? Yeah, what's your hustle? And he kind of gets, you know, bristly about it. And she goes, I understand completely. And I'll make you a drink. And so she, uh, Holly Golightly asks him, what do you do? And he said, I'm a writer, I guess. I wrote this book called Nine Lives. Which which circles back to the cat. Everything circles back to something else. Um, George Papard says somebody is angry sensitive. Uh, oh, it, oh, his book. Was, she said it was your book good. And he said it was angry and sensitive and intensely felt prose. Uh, that at least that's what the critics said. 
Yeah, but and I don't. Then, I don't read the critics. So yeah, <laughs> I had a promising career back in 1956, and the time of this film is 1960. And so she says, "What have you done lately?" And she looks at his typewriter, and there isn't even a ribbon in his typewriter. And so she's been jibber jabbering, jibber jabbering about how the the men who she sees, she calls them rats and super rats, how they always give her $50 when she goes to the powder room because you're supposed to tip the person in the powder room. And, oh, but obviously, I thought the powder room was like... <sighs> I don't, like the like the den of where the dirty happens. It was code. I bet it was, and I didn't even go there. I don't know. Because there was a lot of mention of the powder room in the trivia, and I was just oblivious. And so Holly Golightly tells George Papard, you remind me of my brother Fred. And... Um, and how she tried to save Fred, but he's in the army now. So she goes, do you mind if I just get in bed and just snuggle with you for wait, a minute? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> she's, the girl, she's the kind of girl that's like, you remind me of Fred. I'm going to call you Fred now. So now he's Fred. You know, I know some very nice people who took somebody's first name and just changed her, la her, her middle name and called her by a, a different name. Her name was... Patricia Susan and these friends started calling her Patty Ann because they just liked that, but it was done lovingly. Okay. Okay. And she says, We're friends, aren't we? And let's just go to sleep. Yep. So she climbs in and, you know, they just go to sleep. But then. She wakes up, or she's having, like, this nightmare. She's talking about Fred. She's talking about, what, snow, maybe? Cold and snow, and she's crying. Yeah, and so then, like, Papard, like, shakes her, and it's like, why are you crying? And then she gets mad, and she's like, I don't like snoops. And she goes back out of the fire escape. And it's like, you came in here, right. and my name's it's Paul. It is odd. It is odd. But she is so likable. Yeah. I mean, looks looks will get you very far in this world. Yeah, they will. And she's got them. So the next day, there's a note in Paul's mailbox saying, sorry about last night. Drinks at six. And uh, she also gave him a ribbon for his typewriter. Mm. And the phone rings. And um, there's the uh, Patricia Neal is at home with her husband, but she's pretending like she's talking to a good girlfriend, but she's actually talking to her paramour, George Papard, yeah. saying, oh, you know, I can't come tonight. My husband got home early, blah, 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 blah. And the husband, you don't see his face, but all you see is him at the bar with his dry gin making them drinks. Are you stirring a drink right now, Aaron? Bush? I was adding ambiance. Ambiance was had. Stirred, shaken, not stirred. Oops. So we go to the party at Holly's. Now, I don't know how Holly afforded this brownstone walk-up. Well, I think we do know how Holly afforded this brownstone walk-up. Okay, walk so there are 
tons of men and then there are women and and this is like a 60s hullabaloo totally like so cool party now blake edwards had real champagne there and real hors d'oeuvres and he said have at it do a party Mm. and so people were getting blitzed and doing whatever they would do at a party Mm, interesting Uh uh-huh so then george is at the door and there's this dude OJ, somebody I couldn't the get past. The detective from Psycho, and one yeah, of the what? twelve angry men. Yeah, Marshall, jo- somebody Marshall or something. I don't know. Um, and he gives he gives the the line of the movie. He goes, "Going what a dump," sort of like our president felt about our White House. And then he starts saying to George, "Is she or isn't she?" But at that point, time Holly out, walks time out. out, time out. This is the point where I go, oh shit, that's the guy from the A team. That's the first time you realized it? Yes. Oh, yeah. I was like, because I'm like, why does this guy look familiar? Why I love the A team back in the day. What the hell? There's, there's something that is so familiar about him, yet so different at the same time. Yeah, because he was an old man when it was 18. Yeah, and then I'm like, there he is. Okay, there trivia. He is. Bit of trivia. It, he was not anybody's first choice for the role. And he was evidently awful to work with. <gasps> the director would give him you know, like ideas or, you know, this is this is your motivation behind this scene. And he threw it all out the window and did it the way he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be a kept man and he wanted to be a macho guy. And it wasn't the same thing. So nobody on the film liked him. That's because he is Colonel John Hannibal Smith. Well, that's how he played it anyway. Okay. So, oh my gosh, I totally lost my point. Sorry, that was just a point in the movie where I was like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right, or oh, sorry. Like the A-team theme and the and Indiana Jones themes get mixed in my head. I heard that just then, <laughs> but yeah, she did love the A-team. Oh, I don't remember the- what night it came on, but we had to be home for Aaron to watch it. So Holly walks out. This party is going on strong. She walks out wrapped in a bed sheet. Now, was this, I was like, is this a toga? Is this a sheet? Is this high fashion? Uh, Any, it, everything's it just, on the table at this point. It said in the trivia that the, the scene before it was cut, she was in a bathtub when oh. the party started. And so she just got up and took a bed sheet and wrapped it around her. So Holly Golightly is is really good at time management. Not so much. Not so much. And Holly Golightly is asking OJ, the dude, to make Fred rich. She's now calling Paul, the writer, George Pappard, Fred, her brother's name. Not that she has issues. At which point, don't we all just know, like... There's something like some nothing good is gonna happen. Fred, just just Fred, bad. 
Yeah. This this is where I mean it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where this is going. So again, OJ asks George Papard, is she or isn't she? And he's going, is she or isn't she what? And he goes, a phony. But she's a phony, but she's a real phony. She honestly believes all this phony stuff. And, and we goes, have our, as I believe as this scene is going on, we have our POC to an Asian couple, man and woman. Are they not sneaking and listening, eavesdropping into this conversation? And OJ walks by and tells the Asian woman, hey, you got a slit in your dress. Oh, that's problematic, I think. <laughs> that's okay. That's well, Mickey Rooney did say that any Asian people who ever talked to him said they loved him in this role. Oh, okay. I don't think so. I'm sure that there, I'm sure that there were some, they, you know, okay. Oh, it's so problematic. It is so problematic. So OJ is telling George Papard, hey, you know, I saw her, I discovered her, I arranged for her to have a screen test, and then she flew the coop and, um, and, Holly Golightly tells George Papard, when I find out what I want, I'll let you know. So it's obvious she doesn't have a clue what she wants in life, but she does know what she doesn't want. Yeah, she doesn't uh, want to be poor. Right. She wants money. She has an outrageously long cigarette holder. And it's her apartment cool. is full <laughs> of people. So at one point, she she catches an older woman's hat on fire. And um, there are a lot of gags that go on during this party. And um, somebody asks the guy, uh, guy next to her what time it is. So he turns his wrist to check his wristwatch. And he has a drink in his hand. And that puts out the fire. I thought the alcohol in the drink would have caused the fire to escalate. I guess but not. But see, it, it shows because... They're across the party. Papard sees this happening. He sees the, the her cigarette catching the woman's hat on fire. He's trying to go to stop it. But her name is Holly Golightly, and things just seem to work out for her. She's a cat. She lands on her feet. The she guy, does. The, the woman's head's on fire. She the, Somebody else asks her and does the thing, and it's all. And she never even is none the wiser. It's all good. It's all good, man. So Holly Golightly and George Papard are talking, talking, talking. And then another person comes in, a woman. I forget what her name was. She is Southern. She had a really big role in the book, but not a big role in the movie. She comes in with Jose, who is from Brazil, and Rusty Trawler, who is the ninth richest man in America. And he is what we would call kindly... A dweeb. And that's being kind. And um, Holly Golightly goes, all right, this is what I'm looking for. Let's see what can amuse you, Mr. Trawler. And so she's dancing with him. There's loud music. People are drunk. Holly Golightly keeps her, her telephone, a landline, in a suitcase because it cuts down on the noise. It's ringing. George Papard has to crawl under people to answer it. And it's Mickey Rooney saying he's going to call the police. 
Oh, and uh, the woman was Miss Wildwood. And at this point, she's had so much to drink. Everybody can see she's going to just fall over. And somebody yells, Timber. It was Holly Golightly. She just moves <laughs> to the side and is like, Timber. And everybody separates so she can hit smack on the floor. That was nice of everyone there. So some sirens start. Uh, Rusty's with Holly. Rusty and Holly go outside and she points up to the apartment for the police to go bust her apartment, but she's not in it right now. Go lightly. George and Jose go out the bathroom window. Because Jose's like, whoa, I can't be anywhere near cops. So, you know, he's shady. That's the end of the party scene. Next scene, there's a train and it's going to Sing Sing. And so Holly Golightly is there with Fred, with with the tomato guy, and with the Sally Tomato. Yeah, and so Sally Tomato, you we find out has he's he makes um, Holly write down all of her income where she got it from, and Sally's saying to, and then he looks it over, and Holly's tells Fred that Sally's made her keep. He, she's gone to cash business because it's better for taxes. And he basically makes her like keep track of her money and stuff. He's like her money manager. At which point I thought, is he her pimp? But I guess he's not, he's not paying her any money. I mean, he's paying her money. She's not paying him any money. And she, uh, she says no matter how much money she makes, she ends up with $9.00. In her checking account. Oh. So I'm wondering, is he skimming some of her money? Yeah, I, I, I don't didn't know. But then he, and then he has the book and he goes to Papard because he knows that Papard's a writer and he's, he's like waving the book. He's like, this book, this right here, this is what you need to write about. And he's like, on the surface, it seems all like fine and dandy, but what about you know, he and he like lifts out. He's like, oh, fifty dollars for the powder room, minus nineteen dollars for food or whatever, minus twenty dollars for a rip satin dress. And it's like, oh, the life yeah. of a sex worker is not all that glamorous. Not even if you're called a call girl instead of a prostitute, it's not all that glamorous. There's violence underneath. So she comes out going, you know, the weirdest thing, he said there were snow flurries in New Orleans. When was the last time it snowed in New Orleans? Oh, she's so pretty, folks. She's pretty. Next scene, uh, you see Papard's typewriter and with a ribbon in it. And he has started a new novel. And it starts, there was a lovely, very lovely, very frightened girl. She lived alone except for a nameless cat. And you hear the Moon River music. And Holly is singing on the fire escape. And George is watching her. And then they say hi. And then the buzzer buzzes. And it's Patricia Neal. And uh, Patricia Neal's going, there's someone outside watching us. Yeah. He's like, that man has been following me. He's waiting for me to leave. She's like, I think my husband hired him. 
to follow me. I think the jig is up. So George Papard goes, well, I'm, I'm going to find out what's going on. I'm going to go. So he goes into Central Park and this person follows him, follows him. This person is Buddy Epson. Now, that name sounds familiar. Is that Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah. he w- uh. And this is how he got the job for Beverly Hillbillies. He was going to retire before this film. And then they brought him this film. And so he went, okay, I'll do this film. And then whoever started Beverly Hillbillies saw it and went, wow, he'd be perfect for that. So then he did that. He saw them blue eyes and said, that's my man. Mm-hmm. So finally, George Papard sits down. Buddy Epson comes up to him and um, he tells Holly Golightly's backstory. Are you sitting down, people? So her name is really Lula Mae Barnes. Mm. And Buddy Epson is her husband. Doc Golightly. He's an animal doctor. There are four children. She has four kids. Uh, that was George Papard, and he goes, "Not they're not they're not her kids." Oh, I married her when she was fourteen. Fourteen. And she took on the four kids I had with my first wife, who died. Hold up! Hold up! Fourteen. You're an animal doctor and you thought it was a good idea to marry a 14-year-old? Why didn't Papar just smack him? I know. And Buddy Epson says she done broke our hearts when she run off. Not like she was 14, you son of a bitch. Wait, but I have a question, Ma. This is 1960. Was that as, like, shocking? Were the 1960 audiences like, damn, that woman left her four kids. No, I don't think it was damn that woman left her four kids. It was damn Buddy Epson married a 14-year-old. Okay. I, I just sometimes I wonder about America, especially America in the past. Were they just cool with her being a 14-year-old bride? But that was kind of normal for the mountain folk back in the day. Um, so um, he goes, uh, her brother's getting out of the army. It's time for her to come home. Um, good cause runoff from first home. Well, he um, told he tells the whole story. Like he, she, and Fred, Holly, Luann, and Fred, they got caught stealing eggs and like chickens. They were all bare feet. They didn't have anything. Cause she came from mean people. Yeah. So. I mean, think of how be her mean, original family. Yeah. If you're 14, you run away and you're like, sure, I'll marry you and take care of these four kids. What was it like that you left that to go to that? Right. Ooh. And um, Lula May's place is with her husband, her children and her brother. Let her know I'm here, will you? And George Papard goes, sure, Doc, I'll let her know. So you're expecting when Holly Golightly sees him for her to be horrified. Yeah. But she's not. No. She she has true compassion on her face. And she's crying tears that are not tears of fear or anger. It's compassion 
when she sees him. I mean, obviously she had to run away, get away from that, but she had true feelings for him and that family. So he wasn't a total, he was just the asshole that married a 14 year old girl, but he treated the 14 year old girl really nicely. Much better than she had ever known before. Yeah. Right. And so when Buddy Epson shows up at her door, she assumes Fred is with him. Fred, Fred, are you here? And Buddy steps up and I wrote, it's a sincere hug and a sincere smile on her face. Mm-hmm. Okay. George Papard goes, I'm out because I ain't dealing with this. This is some weird shit, man. <laughs> And, he's, and he bounces. He bounces down to his apartment. So then Holly uh, goes up to George. She's always uh, interacting with George through his window instead of his front door. She goes up and goes, will you help me? I'm taking him back to the bus station. He thinks I'm going back with him, but I can't. So will you help me just get him on the bus and make him realize I can't I can't go back with him. Since it's 1960, she has also mentioned that he is not her husband. They actually got the marriage annulled. She probably got it annulled, and he probably never faced, uh, you know, like that means nothing. Yeah. You're my property, woman. So she tells Doc, I'm not coming with you. It's a mistake. Uh, The mistake you made was trying to love a wild thing. So Buddy Ibsen goes, okay, well, Fred's getting out in February, and he can't come live with me if you're not there. Oh, so now now Buddy Epson is dangling Fred, trying yes, to be indeed. like, well, Fred's going to have to like make his way on his own. And then meanwhile, I'm like, Fred's been in the Army. I think that he can handle himself. But Buddy Epson says he's going to need to sign up for another year in the Army because I'm not taking it. Yeah, and I'm like, ooh, we got, uh, I believe that Vietnam is a ticking time bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Holly go lightly, so <laughs> you, you might want to, like, make some plans here. <laughs> so Buddy Epson says to George Papard, keep an eye on her. She's just too skinny. I was like, thank you, Buddy Epson. So Buddy Epson says to her, I love you, but I'm she says to Buddy Epson, I love you, but I'm just not Lula May anymore. I'm highly go like Yeah, bus leaves. Bus and she's in tears. And he's like, you know what? I am going to go hunting on my land. I'm going to shoot at a rabbit. And there's going to be black gold that comes out of the ground. So <laughs> see you later, Holly Golightly. <laughs> Exactly. I'm going to be the rich you wanted. There's gold in them there hills. So Holly Golightly tells George Papard, the terrible thing is I'm still Lula May. And it's what I call the mean red. So when she thinks under her phony, superficial life, she's got that mean red going on. Needs to take care of Fred. Should she go back to Buddy Ebsen, the old man, and take care of the four children? Or should she go above it all and just be a happy girl? So she goes, take me to the bar. I need to get drunk. And don't take me home until I am drunk. Yep. And the bar they go to is a strip bar. Was it a strip? Because it seemed very classy. Did they used to be classy? It was a classy strip bar, but it was a strip bar. And then in the book, 
she had kind of a bisexual thing going on. Holly. But they didn't do that in the movie. Holly, go lightly. Yeah, it was that was they couldn't go there in the movie. And so she's watching this stripper up there and she says to George Papard, do you think she's deeply and importantly talented or is she just superficially talented and handsomely paid? Um, okay, they both get really drunk and there's a lot of chit chat, chit chat, chit chat. There's so much chit chat in this film. This film could have just been called chit chat. Right. Superficial chit chat. Chit chat with Holly Go Lightly. And she does say she's had 26 different rats in the last two weeks take her to dinner. I wouldn't be advertising that Go Lightly. I mean. So then she tells George Papard, I have tonight made a very serious decision. I will no longer play the field. Oh, she's hanging up her wild stallion ways. She is planning on focusing on Rusty Trawler, marrying him, getting the money she wants, and that is going to be the end of it, even though Rusty kind of looks like a pig. He does. He is a very unfortunate squat man. He is everything that you picture and imagine Rusty Trawler would look like. But guess what? He is the ninth richest man under 50, so. And here's the thing. She wants him under 50. Most people want him over 50, so they die soon. No. Holly so why Golight. is she going for the under 50? I think because she's superficial in that way. Yeah, that was, that was an oxymoron. She doesn't like old balls. So, um, George Papard drinks to the new Miss Rusty Trawler, and she's explaining to him, Doc won't take Fred back, so I need money, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And she says, get some whiskey, I'll pay for it. And she goes to George Papard, you should be used to taking money from women. Oh, That cut a little too deep. How dare you? He says, if I were you, I'd be more careful with my money. And Rusty Trawler just might be a hard way of earning it. Mm. So George Papard leaves and he's he's kind of pissed, as he should be. Yeah. I mean, this was this was Holly Go Lightly cutting kind of deep. <laughs> she she was Holly Go Deeply. Yeah. Next day, George Papard gets a letter with a check for $50 because I think he sold his new book. I think he sold his story that he wrote about Holly Golightly. So the buzzer buzzes. That buzzer is always buzzing. And Holly, uh, in, in front of Holly Golightly's door are all the newspapers how Rusty Trawler has taken his fourth wife. Mm. So Holly Golightly says to George Papard, I've come to make up. Oh, no, George Papard says that to Holly Golightly. Can I come in? And he goes, um, have you read the papers? And she goes, oh, Rusty, you mean. He was a super rat in rat's clothing. And I found out he's personally broke. Yeah. Then she goes to George Papard, I'd marry you if you had money in a minute. Oh, well, I have 
And he goes, it's good neither of us are rich. Uh, George Papard says he sold his story. So Holly Golightly is thrilled. And she says, how does your decorator friend feel? And there's champagne in the fridge. Who doesn't have champagne in the fridge? Uh, we can spend the whole day doing things we've never done before. So they take a walk in the morning. The first thing they do is go to Tiffany's. And Holly loves the diamonds, but she says, you know, I think it's tacky wearing diamonds before you're 40. That's my motto. Well, good thing I'm over 40. <laughs> so he goes, well, you know, I want to buy you a present. And she goes, oh, everything here is so expensive. Um, you can buy me a present under $10. Good luck. Even if in it is 1960 Tiffany. in Tiffany's, I'm like, they don't have anything for $10. No. Except they do have something for $10. What is it, Aaron? It's a sterling silver telephone dot dialer, and it is $6.75. Now, my friends, my young friends who don't know, Women with long fingernails used to have trouble dialing the rotary phones. So oh. they had a telephone dialer to stick in the holes to be able to dial the phones. I thought it was just to press the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> no, you still had to do the rotary. Did, 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 did. I forgot about the rotary phone. Did, 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 did. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, well, that was kind of improbable. And so... Um, Actually, when Buddy Epson was talking to George Papardi at Cracker Jacks, and in the Cracker Jacks, there was a little tin ring. Which I had to say, I, I remember in that scene, and I didn't mention it, but I thought, wow, Cracker Jack price, prizes have really gone downhill since 1960. Well, trivia-wise, they said they had to go through a billion boxes of Cracker Jacks to find a ring. They used to have a ring in them, but not very frequently. Why are they going through a billion boxes? This is Hollywood. You just put the ring in there and you give it to him. I know, but I don't know. That was a trivia, so it was probably a lie. So they go, can you engrave something? And then the engraver guy, I liked him. I liked his style because he was yeah, very nice too. to them. Even when they were like, we can only spend $10. He, he didn't poo-poo them away and he was like where this came from cracker jacks i was like my man that's what i'm saying and he was like oh they still do prizes in cracker jacks and i'm like yeah they still do yeah it was really nice mm -hmm. of him so he was like i believe we can engrave it for ten dollars so i think they put their initials in it i think so too the next stop, they went to the public library and they explained the Dewey Decimal System. There's which a is black a librarian. I saw a black librarian. Oh, my God. This was my moment when I thought of Carol and Wendy. But um, Holly Golightly did say it's not half as nice as Tiffany's in the library. But they did check out his book. Using Nine the Lives. card catalog. So then they went to a five and dime. It used to be Woolworths. Mine was a Woolworths five and dime, which was like probably a CVS at the time. Only there would there would also be a um, a, a counter where you could order, 
order sandwiches if you were white. It really, <laughs> it really reminded me of a ninety-nine cent store. And um, so, at one point, there she says he has to steal something because he's never shoplifted something, and of course, she has with the past she had. Yeah. So they're walking through the five and dime, trying to find something that he can steal. She picks up a horn and she blows it. This was before germophobia. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe. I can't believe this woman just blew up that and then just put it back down. She puts mm. her hat over a fishbowl and tries to steal that, but that didn't work. So they decide to steal plastic masks that are Huckleberry Hound and a cat. Uh, a, of a course. Cat. And the reason they say they had a Huckleberry Hound was because in Moon River, my Huckleberry friend. Ah. Yeah. I'll be so your they, Huckleberry. They walk out with the plastic mask, masks on and run home laughing and go in for the kiss. Oh, they're tea. Next scene, George Papard wakes up in his bed where it's obvious someone else had slept. But we didn't see anything about it. He goes to Holly's window and goes in. Holly's not there. He opens the front door and he sees Patricia Neal going up to his apartment, his woman who keeps him. So he has to run out and go up. And she goes, you're crazy, but I love you anywhere because he ha still has the mask on. And George Papard goes, we got to talk. Yeah, look, I've met someone, lady. And she goes, oh, it's girl trouble. I've been expecting it. And George Papard says it's nothing to do with her. Can't we just end this stylishly? You know, like like in a in a grown-up fashion. And Patricia Neal goes, Love has finally found Andy Hardy, which they said was a reference to Mickey Rooney since he played Andy Hardy. Oh, and I, I was like, now he's Andy? I'm like, Damn, what, Paul, Fred, now Andy? Who the hell is this guy? And does everything have to tie into something else? And she goes, I hope she's rich. And he says, you know, for once, I feel like I can help her instead of her helping me. And it's a nice feeling for a change. So Patricia Neal writes him a check for $1,000, a vacation with pay. And you might want to organize a union of, you know, kept gentlemen. Oh. So George Papard goes to his closet of all the clothes she's bought him and goes, well, I hope the next writer you want to help is my size so you don't have to change the measurements of the, the clothes in there. So he's broken it off with his. He doesn't have a job. Right. Yeah. So George Papard is calling Holly and calling Holly because evidently they spent the night together. And he's in love with her now. He's in love with just the worst thing you can do with Holly Golightly. And he can't get an answer from her. And he's looking all over New York City for her. And finally he goes in the library and she's reading a book. Yeah. Well, also he went to pick Tiffany's and picked up the ring. 
Yes, he did. And then he finds her. Ring. He finds her at the library. She's reading enormous amounts of books, and they're all about South America. And he's like, "What? Why are you doing that?" And she's like, "I'm going to. My plans changed. I'm going <laughs> to marry Jose." AKA the guy that you helped escape from the fire escape, but she doesn't know that. It turns out this Jose guy is rich and he's cuckoo for her. And she's like, you don't own me. And he's like, well, my name's not Fred. My name is Paul and I love you. And she's Ooh, that's like, the end of it. Well, I am I everybody? And then, oh, yeah, and then, because, uh, you know, they have, they have this whole, like, argument kind of thing, and he gets his feelings hurt because he's like, whoa, wait a minute, was I just one of your rats? Was I just another on the list? Am I like everybody else? And so he gives her his $50 check, and he's like, this is for the powder room. Yeah. So uh, that's how that ended. So then, unfortunately, we cut to Mickey Rooney. Oh, see, I didn't even write down any of the Mickey Rooney stuff. Uh, It was so problematic. I couldn't even pick up a pen. (laughs) And uh, the the door buzzers are buzzing. So Holly go lightly and Jose come up the steps, but they hear dripping. And they look up, and there's Mickey Rooney on the top floor, dripping from his bath, looking down at him. And then they see Paul in the hallway, and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm over this. You're going to marry this guy for money, mm-hmm. you know, forget Cause they, you. Because they came back. They were, I believe, because they have the spears and stuff, they were at a bullfighting thing or something. Because those are the bullfighting spears. Oh, I didn't pay attention to that. I've been to a bullfight, and it's horrible. Yeah. I was like, this is nothing like what I expected it to be. This is, oh my, this is not for me. Yeah. The purpose is to kill the bull. Yeah, but it's not even a fair fight. It's not like the bull goes out there. They got people out there, like before the air quote fight begins, stabbing the bull. So they're putting all of the those things, and it's the things that they were had. That's what they put into the bowl, like on their neck and stuff. Mm. And that's like the pregame is that they're doing that to the bulls. The bulls riding around. So then when the matador comes out, the bulls already like bleeding and all stabbed mm. and hurt. So it's mm. not even it's not even like they're like, yo, this bull is wild. Let's go go ahead, matador, you versus the bull. I was like, oh man, this is not for me. Yeah, mm. I I mean, I, and I'm sorry if it's your tradition and stuff, but ah, this, mm. I'm not, I'm not going to be the one that's like, I'm so sad this tradition's gone. Ah, that's one that we can just let, just wither let and go. die. Yeah, we can yeah. let that go. It's sad. Well, there's a telegram on the floor in front of Holly's apartment. So she goes in and um, Jose gives her the telegram. And then you hear just mass chaos. She's throwing everything around her apartment and she's calling Fred, Fred, no, no. 
And Jose Jordan. is like, he goes out in the hallway, he sees Fred, and he's like, oh, you got to help me. Yeah. So George Papard goes in, calms her down, puts her to bed, and he comes out and he goes, what What was that? And yeah, like, what, what did you do? What did you do to her? And Fred has been killed. In a Jeep accident. In a Jeep accident. Yeah. And, but then, was he in Kansas? Or is that where the telegram came from? Was the telegram from the doc, from Doc Holiday, saying that Fred had been killed it overseas? It was. It was from, yeah, Doc Holly Go, Doc Go Lightly, letting her know her brother had been killed. Because I thought that it said that it was from Doc, but that he died in a, in a Jeep accident in Fort something, not Leavenworth, but the other one in Kansas. And it I was might like, have been. I was like, well, I didn't pay attention to what Forty was in. I was just paying attention. I was like, I thought he was overseas, but I think he died in a Jeep accident here. He in the did States. right here on American soil. Mm. And Jose goes, was she close to him? I think so, dude. Now she, uh, you know, that's that's her reaction to just to any sort of bad news is to just yeah. destroy everything. And Jose goes, what can one do? <laughs> oh, He's God. so sensitive, Jose. So George Papard goes, uh, so you've got a ranch in Brazil? She, you know, she's going to like that. Um, and so a uh, taxi pulls up next scene. George Papard goes out, comes out, and he goes up to Holly's apartment, and she's knitting. So this is like several months later. Yeah, time has passed. Papard has moved out. So George Papard goes, I got your wire. You look fine. <laughs> and Holly goes, I'm really, really happy. I'm really happy. I read three of your stories. And George is going, why did you want to see me? And she goes, I'm going to Rio tomorrow. I'm not traveling on the same plane with Jose. Did I tell you how divinely and utterly happy I am? Okay, and George Papard we get goes, it. So, so he asked you to marry him? Well, no, but he will. And she also made the comment about herself that she's fat as a pig. Yeah. Which I was, I, I said, uh, Holly go lightly. Let me tell you something. You are not happy because you are not fat as a pig. You, you are, are hiding your depression. Exactly. And what is that that you're knitting? Is it a dress? It it's was got hideous. a giant hole. It's horrible. <laughs> I know Whatever what you're doing. It was, it was I know what Holly Golightly is doing. She's knitting and she doesn't know what she's knitting, but she's just knitting. She doesn't know how to end it. She doesn't know where it's going. She's just knitting to knit. She's knitting for knit's sake. For knit's sake. So she goes, um, I wanted to make you dinner. And at which point the pressure cooker explodes. So, um, uh, uh, George Papard goes, let me take you to dinner. You know, it's our last night together. Let me take you to dinner. And she goes, years from now, I'll come back to New York City with a bunch of Brazilian kids because I do love New York. And she says, they're going to be dark because Jose's dark. But <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, OK, Holly, go lightly. And Holly, when you go to the beach with him, 
you ain't got a you ain't got a chance of getting darker than them. Hell no, Holly Go Lightly. When they when you take them to the beach, they're gonna get nice and tan and golden and bronzed. And then you're gonna be like feeling like, oh, I wish I was that way. But no, I'm gonna play this tape of you saying how oh they're gonna be dark. Yeah, and then you ask your daughter to put lotion on your back, meaning sunscreen, and she puts lotion on your back, and you burn like a tomato. <laughs> I did that, people. Yeah, I did that. She said put lotion on the back. I wasn't paying attention. I just heard lotion. I, I say, can you put sunscreen on me? I call it sunscreen. I don't call sunscreen do lotion. <laughs> My skin isn't ashy. It's not the reason I'm putting it on. I'm putting this on to shield my skin from the sun. When my skin is dry, I apply lotion. I thought her skin was dry from the sun. Uh, so they come back from dinner and they go to the apartment and the, the, the Jakes are there. The narcotic squad. And they handcuff George Papard. And they go to the police station, and there are reporters everywhere. And uh, and she's not handcuffed. George Papard is. And she's saying to the, the paparazzi, all I do is visit Hamburger Hamlet, and I give Mr. O'Shaughnessy a weather report. That's all I do. So there are newspapers um, that tomatoes, tomato are, is pinched by the police. And so um, George Papard calls OJ, who is in Hollywood at this point, I assume. And they get they get Holly a, a lawyer because at this point she is in jail for narcotics trafficking. Wait, who? Holly is in jail for narcotics trafficking with Sally Tomato. Oh, yeah, they got her. Right. But she had no idea. She thought she was just giving weather reports. Yeah, because she's Holly Golightly. And OJ goes, keep my name anonymous. And the lawyer's going to get her up by 10 a.m. Keep her away from the reporters and go to a hotel and give her a phony name. So in the morning, Holly gets out of jail. George Papard has a taxi there, and she's got the she's got cat and most of her stuff with her. She has a plane ticket to go to Brazil. She's ready to go to Brazil. Yeah. And so George Papard is going, take us to the hotel. And she's going, no, take me to Idlewild Airport. And he's going, you can't do that. There's a warrant out for you. And she goes, day after tomorrow, I'll be married to the future president of Brazil. And George Papard goes, I don't think so. So he reads a, was it a telegram? Because mm -hmm. she's changing. She's getting into her black dress. In the taxi, and you don't see a thing because she's able to change into that little black dress from a sweater and pants she had on. Anytime, anywhere. That's the mark of a professional. She can do it. And the um, telegram says, my dearest little girl, um, 
you're very different from the person a man of my position requires. I have a family to protect. Please forget me. So Holly's crying. <coughs> She's like, that son of a bitch. The plane leaves at 12 o'clock and she says, I still plan to be on it. Uh, no, I'm not going to chase him, but why waste a plane ticket? And they want me to be the state's witness against Sally. And she goes, do me a favor, George Papard, will you? Will you will you mail me the names of the 50 richest men in Brazil? And George Papard goes, I love you. You belong to me. And she goes, I don't even know who I am. At which point it is raining cats and dogs. And she pushes the cat out into an alley mm -hmm. in she, the rain. She just goes, she's like, this is, pull over. This is a good spot for you. Look at that. There's all this trash, all these rats. You'll be fine. Bye, cat. Get out of here, cat. I she, I have this, I LOL. <laughs> I was like, ah, I know. You cat. wouldn't. But she said it's the worst thing she ever had to do in a film. <laughs> it was so mean. <laughs> So George Papard goes, you're just a chicken. You've got no guts. People do belong to each other. You're in a cage that you built for yourself. Mm. And he tosses the Cracker Jack ring at her and gets out. So she's crying and she and she is like almost putting that on her finger, takes it off, almost puts the ring on her finger, takes it off. Finally, she puts the ring on her finger she gets out of the cab and runs. George Papard is looking for the cat. It's raining. And she goes, where's the cat? And they're looking in the alley. And she's looking, looking, looking. Cat, cat, cat. She hears a meow. She hugs the cat. She puts him in her coat. She goes to George Papard. Moon River is playing. And da, da, da. they kiss. The end. Now, in the novel, she... As George Costanza learned... Really? George Costanza learned the novel didn't end the same way. George joined a book club, and they were reading the book. <laughs> so he goes to book club after watching the movie and goes, oh, yeah, was, they get together was, at the end. Is that why he was watching the movie with the black family? Probably. I don't know. Because he went to go rent it and it was rented and then he went to go with the black family and he was just there watching it with them. Probably. Hmm. So the movie didn't end that with the, the movie ended ambiguously. They were just walking down the street together, but there was no like kissing or like they were going to be together. You didn't know what was going to happen at the end. Ah, the end. The end. Breakfast at Tiffany's. I did not remember the ending at all of that movie. I remember that Fred, I remember like Fred, Fred was dead. I knew as soon as she was like, you look like my brother Fred. I was like, Fred is dead. I thought Fred had been dead the whole time and she was just in denial. I didn't realize that. And then I was like, oh, he, he died during the movie, but I knew that. I thought that the I thought that for some reason when I was watching, I was like, I think this ends really darkly, and then it did it. I don't think I ever saw it all the way through before. That's what I'm saying. I'm thinking I fell asleep. 
Okay, she at this point was the highest paid actress per film at the time. And she was 32. She was playing a 19-year-old. Well, they never said the age. I thought she was in her 20s. Yeah, she looked good. It was before Botox because her forehead actually moved. Mm-hmm. And Post- in one of the scenes where she, one of those like great scenes that she had where she had the, I think it was maybe something after, I don't know. But it was one of her dramatic scenes. There was a close-up on her face and you could kind of see like, um... Uh, like circles kind of under her eyes and kind of mm-hmm. lines in her forehead and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn. It might have been when she was singing Moon River on the fire escape with her head wrapped in a towel. I remember seeing lines in her forehead. Yeah. But Which I wasn't like, oh. Now. Yeah. yeah, it's true. But it just, I feel like she added... Like, she kind of knew what it was like to be somebody who was dressed up and all pretty, but to come from a horrific past. And to be really underneath, really insecure, but to be faking it, you know, be phony about it on top. Because she was insecure about playing the part because she knew Truman Capote wanted Marilyn Monroe to play the part. Yeah, and it's and when you watch it, you're just like, I watched it, I was like, yeah. That, that's the good thing about this Gone with the Bushes and these movies. You'll see these movies and you say, yeah, duh. That's why Audrey Hepburn's Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Like, there's a reason why everybody knows the little black dress. There's a reason why there's postcards and posters and all this stuff of her with the cigarette and, like, her Audrey Hepburn. Like, she's a movie star. She's got yeah. it. That She did really good. Yeah. But she was only nominated for an Oscar. That's what I was looking up. I was looking Who up to see. Who won it that year? That's what I, I knew you were going to ask. So that's why I was looking up. Because I'm like, she's going to ask. And I didn't get to see to find that out. So she was nominated with uh, Piper Laurie in The Hustler. Geraldine Page in Summer and Smoke. Natalie Wood in Splendor in the Grass, and Sophia Loren in Two Women. I have no idea who won that. Sophia Loren in Two Women. Huh. She was also nominated. There is a movie called something. The Nun Story? No, something about dark and night, where she played a blind she person. She was the blind woman. That was such a good, suspenseful movie. I wanted her to win it so badly, but that year, Catherine Hepburn won it for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Well, I mean, Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Hello. She, I mean, she won it. We already told you the scene that, that she won it for. Yeah. <sighs> yes. And, and, and now, looking back, I go, yes, that was the right choice. Yeah. So post-production, they wanted to get rid of the song Moon River. It's such a, it doesn't, I don't know if it really fits with the movie, but it's such a great song. Well, Audrey Hepburn said over my dead body and it stayed in. And as I said before, Henry Mancini wrote it for her all in one octave. My man, Hank. Um... I think I've given all of my, 
Uh, in the novel, Holly Golightly flirts with bisexuality, but um, that wasn't shown in the movie because it was 1960. Um, they wanted Tony Curtis to play um, George Papard's part, but Audrey Hepburn's husband at the time, Mel Farrar, oh. said Ab- absolutely not. She is not playing opposite Tony Curtis. Uh, she he had heard about Tony Curtis. Yeah, he knew what he knew. Tony Curtis. That's right. So that was my trivia. Well, as we were talking about old Hank Mancini. He ended up winning the Academy Award for Best Original Score and Best Original Song, Moon River. So suck it, people who wanted to cut it. And I heard there were like uh, 500 different people have recorded it. But his favorite, Henry Mancini's favorite, was her singing it just simply there with her ukulele on the fire escape. And I do believe that she was playing it. Because I was watching and I saw her fingers and I was like, if you were just acting, you would not put your fingers in those positions. Mm. So I was like, mm. this from a ukulele player, people. I've dabbled. She's dabbled. Um, it was nominated for Best Actress, Best Adapted yep. Screenplay, Best Art Direction. And... Not costumes? Givenchy. Givenchy. Um, let's see. So in the the novella, we said it was based in the 40s in the novella. Yes. Um, so Marilyn Monroe, she was still under contract at 20th Century Fox. And the film was done at Paramount. And it's reportedly rumored that Lee Straussberg said, Marilyn, I don't think it's a good idea for you to play a lady of the evening. Yeah, that's what I read. And so she turned it down. And right. she went on to do the misfits instead. I feel like she would have done the superficial part. I don't know if she could have gotten the underlying meat, the red mean mean reds. Do we part. know well I don't know if I don't know if she would have completed the movie. Well, that's true. Because she, she was uh, kind of strung out by now, by this yeah. point. She, she was spiraling. She was in her spiral. It's also reported that Shirley MacLaine turned down the role as well. Yeah, I did read that. And that would have been interesting because Shirley MacLaine, you know, she is good. She, yeah, she would have been bubblier. But then she kind of yeah. did play the role in that film the apartment yeah so that was kind of the extent to and then i had to um figure out who i had to call make some phone calls to so oh yeah yeah that's that's where real time (laughs) i was like somebody what not on my watch (laughs) so erin what are we doing next week oh my gosh Oh, Ma, you're going to have to tell a story real quick about anything. You're going to have to stretch. Okay. I'm so good at stretching. You're horrible at it. May I share yesterday was my 66th birthday. I was able to go out to dinner with some of our listeners. It was great to be with some of our great listeners, a couple librarians 
who would be happy to see the Dewey Decimal System in action in this movie. And... Um, <laughs> you're, you're horrible at this. I am. You need to give me more time. I know, but we don't have time. I'm trying to look up the movie. I knew... I, I had to, but I had to see if this movie, if we could even see this movie. I didn't even know what it was. Somebody wasn't prepared. No, I I was looking at people that I had to call. Okay. But I'm I'm on it. If you just will continue. What did you have for lunch? I didn't eat lunch. I have some Chipotle waiting for me for dinner. Uh, what did you have to drink? I was drinking my gin gimlet, uh, uh, my podcast drink of choice. Fascinating. I was able to uh, get a birthday present for Christine already. Okay, I think I, June. I think I uh, I think I know. Okay. All right. I don't know anything about this movie. But I'm picking it because we're going into Black History Month. Yes. And I was like, well, I, I can't be sleeping now. Now can I? Gotta be woke, baby. All right. Hopefully we'll be able to find it. But this movie is starring weird. Dorothy Dandridge. <gasps> 1954 drama romance. Carmen Jones. <gasps> Carmen Jones. Dorothy Dandridge. She's the one who went to Europe. Yes? Um, I know that Halle Berry played her in the HBO film Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. So that's the... So she was the one who danced with the bananas? I mean, as a costume? Dorothy Dandridge? Um, I could be wrong, but I'm glad that we're doing that. We're uh, February. We will be doing um, strong um, African-American threads in the movies. Yeah. If we can find four, if well, you know what I mean. Actually, we're going to find like more than four, but I was I was on the spot. Probably should have picked that one, but... <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> okay, Carmen Jones it is. So. Oh, yeah, look at this. I mean, starring Dorothy Dandridge, Harry Belafonte, Diane <gasps> Carroll, Pearl Bailey. I'm. What more do you people want from me? All right. All right. Uh, we will let you know that we were able to find Breakfast at Tiffany's for free on Netflix. This week, you can watch it on Netflix, and we'll let you know where we find Carmen Jones next week. I'll bet you it's not on Netflix for free. I don't think so. It's probably on uh, iTunes, though. Yeah, I'm sure we can find it. We'll just have to pay for it. And we're willing to do that, people. So, thank you for listening this week. Breakfast at Tiffany's. See you next week for Carmen Jones. Bye-bye.